Coming up, what an excellent day for... Hang on. Where's Keenan? I, I, I thought he was here with me in the studio, but I don't, I don't see anybody else here. Let me just... Uh... A jump scare! Oh! Oh, God! Well, howdy, folks, and welcome to Minute 97 of The Exorcist Minute, a show... Well, let me let me catch my breath a little bit. <laughs> he got me, folks. He really did get me. Get me. Um, okay. A show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. And yes, folks, um, yeah, today is what an excellent day for a jump scare. Um, just in case, just in case, uh, the mics didn't, uh, didn't pick up that, uh, that amazing, amazing bit of, uh, improv we just did. Um, <laughs> okay. So our minute begins with Karis listening as the demon on the tape says, I am no one. And it ends with him making a late night house call. Yes, folks, things are getting weird. I feel like we're closing in on our final act here, but yeah, let's get back to the top of this minute. Now, last time we really didn't get to talk about this tape. We didn't get to talk about what this demon or or demons question mark are actually saying. Again, I can't help but point out how unique and different from stereotypical devil speech this is. I like I think the thing that gave me the most chills back when I first saw this was that line, I am no one. And again, mm-hmm. Like, a lot of deeply disturbing stuff in this story. I couldn't tell you exactly why I am no one is so much more scarier than I am the devil or I am Pazuzu, I am Captain Howdy, or or even I am Legion. Just I am no one hits me the same way that, like, you're going to die up there hits Mm -hmm. me. Like, like what does that even mean, right? Right. And yeah. here we're in the middle of solving this mystery, and mm-hmm. then the solution to the mystery is you are no one. That's yeah. not very satisfying. No, right? Like, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Like, I started wondering, like, you know, because we were talking about before about the relationship between God and demons and angels and humans, right? And and Captain Howdy hates us for these very human qualities which we possess, right? Which which he sees as inferior or, or maybe... Um, hypocritical. And like Iblis in the Quran, he also takes issue with our claimed kinship with God, right? Like, like how can this lump of clay be God's most beloved? And as his most beloved, we are given these like special gifts, which are exclusive to us, right? Like free will, like the ability to change our nature, to correct our mistakes, right? Like like a finite time on this earth, right? And and some of these things seem like flaws or hindrance uh, or hindrances to a a pure spirit like Captain Howdy, but it, it actually makes me think of um the Silmarillion. This is this is Tolkien's epic uh, creation story for the world of the Lord of the Rings, right? It's his it's his mythology, his Bible, right? So I haven't read it. I thought it I. Th- thought it was like a reference book. Am I misunderstanding what the Cimmerillion is? It, it, it really is like the Bible of Middle-earth, right? Uh-huh. There, yeah, there is a creation story, right? Like the, the world of Middle-earth is created out of music. And there's like one of these, mm, we'll call them angels, but like, you know, the, the Tolkien uh, fans know, the, you know, Valar and Maiar and all that stuff, right? Um, but like, So it's told as, so you open it up and it's in character as, as a Bible? Yes, right? So it's like uh-huh. there, was, there okay. was void and then, and then um, uh, 
uh, Eru Iluvatar, right, uh, the god, creates these uh, um, these beings, right, the very, very angelic beings who then start to, like, join him in this song and that kind of, like, molds and shapes the earth, right? Mm-hmm. But then, of course, there is uh, there is this one, um, you know, angel uh, named... Um, um, uh, Melkor, who who you know sings a different tune, right? Like, and they call they call it Melkor's discord, right? And, and he kind of like he thinks his his um, part of the song is is more valuable and it's it's more beautiful, and so he you know he corrupts everything, right? Mm. But yeah, all of that to say, yeah, like you know, um, I think I think they talk about this in the um, in the Lord of the Rings minute. So for that, go go check out the Lord of the Rings minute. But um, so in this creation story, the god of this universe, Eru Eru Iluvatar, right? What I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at is he gives the humans, the gift of death. Mm. And he says, this will allow you to see things differently from the elves. This will inspire you to do great things. This will give you compassion and a sense of purpose and a sense of time and a perception of my universe that the elves cannot have. This is my gift to you. It's not a punishment. It is a gift. But of course, right, the elves look at the humans like they are inferior because like they're not as wise. They don't live as long. They get sick. Um, they don't have um, hardy bodies like the elves do. They don't see... Um, um, how how these things make humans special, and mm-hmm. that and they can't uh, take a shield and ride it down a surfboard while no scoping an orc in the eye with an arrow. Exactly, really. Like, what good are humans if they can't do that? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. But no. But, but I saw that opening night when and Lakers yeah. did that, and that was one of the great like audience reactions of any movie <laughs> I've ever seen doing that. Well, what was their reaction? Were they like like yeah? Because like, I don't believe that that's in the book. No, no. <laughs> I and, think that is 2002 Extreme Sports Peter Jackson. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> so you you don't you don't think Legolas hanging ten? <laughs> yeah, pulling a, is in, a is in Tolkien's Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> Catching some sick uh, sick curvature. I don't know. I don't know. Surfer speak, folks. <laughs> Waves, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, what I'm saying is like that that whole thing in the Silmarillion about like these gifts that seem like flaws, right? That story reminded me. of of this friction between like the humans and the fallen angels, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you're better than us. How? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think this right here, right. Captain's Captain Howdy saying, I am no one answers that question for me because Keenan, what if amongst all of the unique gifts that maybe don't seem like gifts, which God gave us, like amongst the uniquely human things, which we sort of take for granted. What if one of those things was an identity? Like, huh. like I can say to you, I can say to you, Keenan, who are you? And you can say, I am Keenan, and you have an image of yourself. You can say, this is me, uh, you know, just like, just like, you know, Reagan on the first tape, right? Like says, daddy, this is me. Right. And she mm-hmm. knows, she knows who me is. Right. And, right. and I can say, I am Lester and I have an idea of what that means. And yeah, maybe we are still figuring out exactly what it means to be us as we go through life. But and it, it feels like a curse to us, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know who I am. Right. What am I? Exactly. But it is something that we can hold on to in the in, in the sea of information and words and feelings and experiences, right? Mm-hmm. It, to both of us, Ian is more than a one-syllable word made up of three letters, right? Mm-hmm. That name means something to both of us, right? Right. I say that, like, I say that name and I invoke his name on the show and our two separate consciousness, uh, consciousnesses go immediately to our friend, right? right? That's the power of a name, the power of an identity. We are able to carve out a little chunk of time and space and energy and give it a name and immediately then we have a relationship with it. Mm-hmm. And that got me wondering, has Captain Howdy not given up his name yet because... He doesn't want us to know it, or 
in this universe, in this story, does he not have one? Mm-hmm. Is, is that one of the things that a demon covets of us, right? Is that one of those gifts from God that we don't even realize, that we like take from, uh, for granted because we think, oh yeah, everything has a name. Everything is something. What if that's not the case? What if demons don't get an identity? Hmm. That would help you with your argument about uh, mm-hmm. that you're trying to find things for right about mm-hmm. uh, the problem with Pazuzu. And, and so like maybe this Captain Howdy is um, is Pazuzu and Legion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like takes on um, identity and is searching for it. But over the course of millennia, where as opposed to like you and I might not understand who we are into our 80s and we die mm-hmm. right now, he's doing it over thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. And then. Now I'm thinking of like when he inhabits another body, is this the Mm -hmm. first time that he has this feeling of like singularity? Like, oh, this is this is my hand. This is my face. This is my like I am this person now. But he has if that if that is true, again, we're sort of um, hypothesizing spitballing here. Mm -hmm. If that is true, he has trouble accepting it so far in our movie because he says our hand or it's the pig's hand or the sow's hand. Right. Yeah. So he's still kind of like, yeah, it's just a weird like like place that my mind went when Mm -hmm. like when we hear I am no one. Like it's it's almost like like you humans don't know how lucky you are to like be called something. Hmm. Right. And like now in the movie, we hear some other stuff on this tape as well, right? We've got some, we got some growling, and we also have some sensual moaning. Like, this was another thing that really disturbed me when I was little. Like, the way that Friedkin's Captain Howdy and, and Mercedes McCambridge's Captain Howdy is so sensual at times. Like, they're- You're having trouble saying that because, like, we associate that with sexual, I suppose. Yeah. That's not exactly how you mean it, right? It's like, it's that and, and more, like, of being- in a body and and being um you know sensing things you haven't yes. seen before. Right? Yes, sensual. But like but also I mean like I'm kind it, of like on the sexual, fence sure. about the yeah, no, no, right? yeah, it is sexual, but yeah. it's it's like it is also like this like uh yeah, I mean that's something that movies don't really do very well. I mean mm. not to not to go too far into like people don't want us to be talking about sex. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure. But like that's not something that movies or pornography do very well of mm. of what what sex and, and all of that does to the whole body and not mm. just not just genitals and faces and thoughts, right. right? It does something that is like, oh, you become hyper hypersensitive, hyper yes. aware of the the wind and the air in your room and the way you know the the surfaces feel, et cetera. Like you're right. in this different spot for for um for a little while. Right. Your brain activity, your consciousness, it goes to like a whole nother place, right? Right. Yeah. Sorry to talk to you about sex, folks. Yep. <laughs> you know, there we go. Right. You thought it's like this right. is Uncle Lester and Uncle King <laughs> creepily talking about the birds and the bees. Right. Come come real close for this part. Making myself sick. Oh god. <laughs> no, but I think I think you are right about what what's going on in Mercedes McCambridge's performance. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. very very interesting. Yes, and there yeah, is like, luxuriating oh. in in being somewhere. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I was looking for that word. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. You're absolutely right. And folks, there is a um uh, up on YouTube. There's I guess it's like raw footage of mm-hmm. just Mercedes McCambridge doing her thing and it's like it's mm-hmm. it's everything it's even the stuff that was cut out and her just kind of like and just just imagine like she's at while she's recording she is tied to a chair she yes. is she is heavily drugged up right because she's drinking whiskey and all this stuff right yeah and she is given the performance of a life it is it is amazing and scary and and disturbing and also mm-hmm. yeah sensual and and like bleh, like it's it's very weird right, <laughs> right. um and I, I i will post that up on the uh, on the listener group right but like there's a moment later in the film during the exorcism 
where you cannot tell whether the demon is laughing or crying mm-hmm. or in the throes of like sensual passion. And it's yep. like, I keep saying sensual and I hate how <laughs> making the word feels gross in my mouth, but like it, it's really disturbing. It, like, it's yep. almost like, okay, hmm, I'm putting this together now in my brain, right? It's almost like we talked about Keenan, like having like an identity, right? Is, mm-hmm. is uh, coveted by, by Captain Howdy is pain also a unique sensation to demons like 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 i am no one i've never had a name i've never had a body i've also never felt ooh what is this what right. is what is this like you call this pain is this what humans feel like mm-hmm. and and just like languishing it in it and relishing it like oh so this is this is what god's children feel this is what yeah. it is to feel like it makes me think of of what he says in the book right it is warm in the body feel the mm-hmm. blood feel how it sings like like we don't keenan we don't notice our blood no, right? as, we don't. As it's, like we don't we don't notice our heart pumping, right? But like right. to Captain Howdy, it's like, whoa, these humans have no idea how lucky they are. I can feel this girl's heartbeat. I can feel my own breath. I've never had breath before. And that just goes back to like these humans get to have the have a name and they get to have blood and breath and they can taste things and they can hear things and they have no idea how lucky they are. They do not deserve any of this. Like they they don't appreciate any of this. And so he's making all these like gross ecstatic noises because the sensation of being human is almost too much for him even the pain part like what do you think that's really interesting Hmm. i mean there are people who train themselves right to be able to feel their heart some of them say they they're able to feel blood through their veins right Mm -hmm. because they're able to to train themselves to focus on that and to to get rid of all of the other um uh sensory information that their brain is constantly feeling and reading right yeah do you remember did do you remember as a kid being able to taste what a spoon tastes like I, I mean, like, are you talking about like the first time? Yeah, like a metal spoon, which like now, now, like for me, so mm-hmm. like you know, I, I, I don't taste metal when I get a, a spoonful of ice cream or whatever because mm-hmm. my body, my, my mind is like, well, you don't need that information, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard like in in, in like similar, I guess a similar case is like you can always see your nose. Oh yeah, it's so freaky when I when I force myself to look at my nose. But your body is just like yeah, your brain is just like we're just going to ignore that part, right? But not necessary, right? Yeah, and and yeah, I guess the same thing, right? Like you don't taste the spoon when you're when you're having food, but at the same time, somebody somebody uh, put this up on TikTok, and Mm -hmm. and it's been it's been messing with my brain ever since. Um, Your tongue knows how everything feels. Oh, uh huh. Even stuff you haven't tasted. Uh Like look like like listeners look around the room right now and look at something that you are sure that you have never licked. Oh, Jesus, that's going to be pretty difficult for me here in this object. <laughs> <laughs> Something I haven't licked here in my <laughs> Right, no, I have a couch that's fuzzy, That that's a, a, a new couch that I got in my office, and I, yeah, I have an idea of what that would feel like. Right? But not just, not just, not just like a vague passing right. idea. No, no, you no, You know no, exactly. No. I know exactly. <laughs> this microphone that is inches away from my mouth, I have never yes. put it in my mouth, but I know exactly how it would like yeah. feel on my tongue. That's interesting. That, like, how, right? And, <laughs> and people, people have said, it's like, well, when you're a baby, you put everything yeah. in your mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so maybe that's like, that's, that's the loading up of information. Like when mm. we're, when we're, you know, little kids is like, we just, it's like, well, I have to store this uh, at some point, you know, like mm. I, I have yeah. Well, another thing. So if I, li- I really like this idea, again, thought experiment hypothesis, we're not, right. we're not saying that this, that this is necessarily true. There's no way to figure this out, but right, if right. Captain Howdy either has not been in a person before or has not been in a person for a while, I yeah. think, I think that's fair to say, right? Right. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. 
um, depending on how we interpret the beginning, maybe Marin has unearthed him un, un, without meaning to. So he hasn't he hasn't been in the body of a newly 13 year old American child of divorce. Right. Yeah. And so all of those feelings, not just the body, like everything that you're saying, but also those feelings, what it is to be a pubescent girl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in America, which is, I mean, if Reagan were, if, if Captain Howdy is Bazuzu, which, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily agree with, but mm-hmm. you know, a 13 year old girl in uh, Mesopotamia as a woman who is getting yes. married and like has, yes. right, isn't going through all of the, what we associate today with teenagerhood mm-hmm. and like losing a father to divorce. Like these are all different things, right? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Um, or like, um, you know, I'm thinking about death when I'm 13 and I'm worried about like, why do, why does God let, let people die? Yeah. Right. That's like he can something... probably, he can probably feel the emotions as well. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And those are also, so even if he hasn't um, been in, so if he does jump from person to person, but it's been a couple of thousand years, these mm-hmm. are all brand new feelings that are, right, yeah, like, right. like, like you're saying, terrible things for Reggie to be going through, but might be really just fun and interesting for Captain Howdy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My mother loves me. She's worried about me. I can, mm-hmm. I can sense that. And, mm-hmm. and also this place has air conditioning and <laughs> he's, cause he's not, he's not putting any like, like value on any of these, right. these factors. Right, exactly. They're all the same, right? Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. this place has air conditioning and my mother's worried about me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, wah, like, I, I, yeah, I, again, I can't even fathom, but, and, and again, yeah, we're just spitballing folks. We're just like guessing around and, you know. Yeah. No, that that's really interesting. Mm, mm. But it does, um, yeah, explain again some of the some of the performance um, that McCambridge is coming up with with uh, Blatty or not Blatty um, with uh, Friedkin. That yes, is just, yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Now, in addition to all of these sounds uh, that we're getting from the tape recorder, we also get a word, Marin. Which, if we are seeing this for the first time, Keenan, what do we make of this? Do we know it's a name? Do we know no. who the name belongs to? Yeah, absolutely not. We wouldn't we wouldn't recognize it anything, right? Yeah. Even in the book, it's ambiguous. Karis mm-hmm, is, is mm-hmm. he's he's listening to the tape and he's he's actually writing it down. He's transcribing uh this part and he writes it phonetically. He actually spells it M-A-R-I-N with a question mark. He's like mm-hmm. he doesn't know like what what the demon said, right? So again, like Marin Father Marin is never named in that opening prologue, right? He's always referred to as the man in khakis, the old man, right? Now, we can't escape from our knowing of who this is, like like you and me, Keenan, and, and all of our listeners, right? Right. Or even, or even that this, this word is most definitely a name. But yeah, let's, let's go back in time. We haven't read the book. We're sitting in this darkened theater. Our friend dragged us to this movie, right? We, we made it this far into the movie, and now the demon is screaming, Marin. Like what? Like what are we even supposed to be? It's like, is this another language? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because we it's it's now been reversed, so it had been whatever like Nerim. Yeah. Right? yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think it even registers as anything at all. So that's interesting in the book, right? So he's writing it down so that we'll remember it. But in the movie, we don't have that at all, right? Right. Right. I There's think, no yeah. reason why we should like cash that away in our movie watching memory. Right. Right. And so, yeah, so Karis has been standing by the window, nearly empty coffee cup in hand. And so now he walks over to the desk. He stops and he rewinds the tape as he sits down at the desk. It makes me wonder, like, how many times has he listened to this? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the coffee is almost gone, like I said, right? <laughs> right. So he rewind, he rewinds the tape presses play and starts listening again more intently, right? We see in his face that he is trying to work things out. We hear, I am no one from the the tape again. And he sort of like opens his mouth, like almost like he's going to like mimic it, right? Like, like repeat it to himself. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, like maybe he's trying to get a sense of like how the words feel in your mouth. Like, like, can you say this backwards? Right. Right. Does can it sit- feel like my couch in my mouth? Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know what that feels like, right? Right, obviously. <laughs> it's the opposite of whatever the underside of my shoe feels like in my mouth. What do you mean, know. whatever? Let's stop pretending here. <laughs> we all know. Listeners, you know right now, as we say it, what the underside of your shoe feels like on your tongue. Don't pretend you don't. Right. All right. Anyway. Um <laughs> It's like your smartest muscle in your body, right? Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's see. So so now, folks, before we continue with this scene, um, it is time again for another reading from the Book of Blatty. But not just any reading. This is where Blatty has inserted a brand new scene <laughs> with a brand new... Well, okay, a brand new scene with a brand new character. Uh, this is in the 40th anniversary edition of this book. You may have noticed that I've mostly been reading from the first edition, mostly because I I like um, the wording and the pacing a little bit more. But the scene and this character uh, we're about to meet are not in that edition. So I am now reading from the 40th anniversary edition. So here we go. Oh, and just to preface this, so this happens right around this time. Karis is still in his room. He's up late. He's doing research. And so this is the best place for it, I decided. Okay, so here we go. A reading from the Book of Blay. Karis stopped reading and shook his head. There was nothing paranormal here, he thought. Only proof of the limitless abilities of the mind. He reached for a cigarette, sat down, and lit it. I am no one. Many. Where did it come from, Karis wondered. This eerie content of Regan's speech from the same place Clelia had come from. Emergent personalities? Marin. Marin. Ah, the blood. He is ill. His eyes haunted. Karis glanced at his copy of Satan and moodily leafed to the opening inscription. Let not the dragon be my leader. Closing his eyes as he exhaled smoke, Karis lifted a fist to his mouth as he coughed, and, aware of his throat feeling raw and inflamed, he crushed out the cigarette in an ashtray. Exhausted, he slowly and awkwardly got up, flicked out the room light, shuttered his window blinds, kicked off his shoes, and collapsed face down on his narrow cot. Fevered fragments spun and tumbled through his mind. Reagan, Kinderman, Dennings, what to do? He must help, he had to help, but how? Try the bishop with what little he had? He did not think so. He could never convincingly argue the case. He thought of undressing, of getting under the covers. Too tired, this burden. He wanted to be free, let us be. As he began the slow drift into granite sleep, Karis's lips moved almost imperceptibly, forming the soundless words, Let me be. And then suddenly, he was lifting his head, awakened by adenoidal breathing and the soft sound of cellophane being crinkled, and opening his eyes, he saw a stranger in his room, a slightly overweight, middle-aged, freckle-faced priest with thin strands of red hair that were combed straight back on a balding head. Sitting in an overstuffed corner chair, he was watching Karis and tearing off the seal from a packet of Galois cigarettes. The priest smiled. Oh, well, hello. Karis swung his legs around and sat up. Yeah, hello and goodbye, Karis growled. Who are you and what the fuck are you doing in my room? Look, I'm sorry, but when I knocked and you didn't answer, I saw the door was unlocked, so I just thought I'd come in and wait. And there you were. The priest gestured to a pair of crutches, tilted and leaned against the wall near the chair. I couldn't wait for very long in the hall, you see. I can stand for so long, but then, at some point, I just have to sit. I do hope you'll forgive me. I'm Ed Lucas, by the way. Your father president suggested that I see you. Slightly frowning, Karis tilted his head to the side. You said, Lucas? Yes, it's Lucas all the time, said the priest. 
his grin displaying long and nicotine-stained teeth. He'd extracted a cigarette from the packet and was slipping a hand into his pocket for a lighter. Mind if I smoke? No, go ahead, I'm a smoker. Ah, well, yes, Lucas said, as he glanced at a crush of cigarette buds in an ashtray on the end table next to his chair. The priest held out the cigarette packet to Karis. Try a gawa? Thanks, no. Look, you said that Tom Birmingham sent you? Good old Tom, yeah, we're buds. We were in the same high school class at Regis. And after that, we did our tertianship together at St. Andrews on Hudson. Yes, Tom recommended that I see you. So, I took a greyhound from New York. I'm at Fordham. Karis's mood abruptly lifted. He said, oh, New York, is this about my request for reassignment? Reassignment? No, I know nothing at all about that. It's a personal matter, said the priest. Karis's shoulders slumped with his hopes. Well, okay then, he said in a tone more subdued. He stood up and walked over to the straight-backed wooden chair behind his desk, turned it around, sat down, began to measure Lucas with a clinically appraising eye. To Karis, from this closer vantage, the priest's black suit looked rumpled and baggy, even seedy. There was dandruff on the shoulders. The priest had pulled a cigarette out of its package, and now he lit it with the leaping tall flame of a Zippo lighter that he seemed to have produced unnoticed from a pocket like a magician's sleight of hand and then blew out a stream of moody, bluish-gray smoke, which he watched with what looked like a deep satisfaction as he drawled, Ah, there's nothing like a gawa for the nerves. Are you nervous, Ed? A little. Well, okay, then let's get to it. Go ahead and lay it out for me, Ed. How can I help you? Lucas studied Karis with a look of concern. You look exhausted, he said. Perhaps it's best if we meet up tomorrow. What do you say? Then he quickly added, yes, yes, most definitely tomorrow. Could you hand those to me, please? He had reached out a hand to the crutches. No, 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 Karis told him. I'm fine, Ed, just fine. Leaning forward with his hands clasped together between his knees, Karis scanned the priest's face as he told him, procrastination is what we often call resistance. Lucas lifted an eyebrow, in his eyes the faint hint of what might have been bemusement. Oh, is that so? Yes, it's so. Karis lowered his gaze to Lucas's legs. Does that depress you? He asked. What do you mean? Oh, my legs. Ah, well, sometimes, I suppose. Congenital? No, no. It uh, happened in a fall. For a moment, Karis studied his visitor's face. That faint, secret smile. Had he seen it yet again? That's too bad, Karis murmured sympathetically. Ah, well, that's the world we've inherited, not so, reacted Lucas, the Gawa cigarette still dangling from a corner of his mouth. He took it from his lips between two fingers and lamented amid an exhale of smoke. Ah, well. So, okay, Ed, let's get to it, okay? You didn't come here all the way from New York to play dodgeball with me, that's for sure. So let's open up now. Tell me everything, okay? Open up. Lucas gently shook his head and looked aside. Oh, well, it's such a long story, he began. But then he had to put his fist to his mouth as a new spell of coughing racked him. Want a drink? Karis asked. His eyes watering, the priest shook his head. I'm fine, he said chokingly. Really, as the spasm seemed to pass, he looked down and brushed cigarette ash from the front of his jacket. <laughs> Filthy habit, he grumbled as Karis noticed now what looked to be a soft-boiled egg stain on the black clergy shirt the priest wore beneath his jacket. Okay, what's the problem? Karis asked. Lucas lifted his gaze to him and said, You. Karis blinked. He said, Me? Yes, Damien, you. Tom's terribly worried about you. Karis stared at Lucas steadily now, with the beginning of realization, for in his eyes and in his voice there was a deep compassion. Ed, what do you do up at Fordham? Karis asked. I counsel, said the priest. You counsel? Yes, Damien. I'm a psychiatrist. Karis stared. A psychiatrist, he echoed blankly. Lucas looked aside. Ah, oh, well. Now, where do I begin? He breathed out reluctantly. 
I'm not sure. It's so tricky. Very tricky. Ah, well, then, let's see what we can do, he said softly, leaning over and tamping out his gawa in the ashtray. But then again, you're a pro, he said, looking up. And at times, it's best to put things on the table straight away. The priest began coughing into his fist again. <laughs> Damn, I'm really sorry. The coughing ended. Lucas eyed Karis somberly. Look, it's all this crazy business with you and the McNeils. Karis reacted with surprise. The McNeils? He marveled. Listen, how could you possibly know about that? There's no way that Tom would ever let that out. No way. It would be harmful to the family. There are sources. What sources? Such as who? Such as what? Does it matter? Said the priest. No, not at all. All that matters is that your health and your emotional stability, both of which are clearly already in danger, and this thing with the McNeils will only stress it all the more, so the Provincial is ordering you to break it off. Break it off for your own sake, Karis, as well as for the good of the Order. The priest's bushy eyebrows had gathered inward, almost touching, and he'd lowered his head so that his stare and his visage seemed threatening. Break it off, he warned, before it leads to some greater catastrophe, before things get even worse, much worse. We don't want any more desecrations now, Damien, do we? Karis stared at his visitor in bafflement and then shock. The desecrations? Ed, what are you talking about? What does my mental health have to do with them? Lucas leaned back in his chair. Oh, come on, he scoffed cynically. You join the Jesuits and leave your poor mother to die all alone in abject poverty. And so who would someone hate for all of that unconsciously if not the Catholic Church? Here, the priest leaned forward and again, hunching over as he hissed, don't be obtuse. Stay away from the McNeils. His eyes tight, his head angled in surmise. Karis rose and stared down at the priest, demanding huskily, Who in the hell are you, pal? Who are you? The soft ringing of the telephone on Karis's desk drew a swift, alarmed glance from Father Lucas. Watch out for Sharon, he warned Karis sharply. And then, abruptly, the phone was ringing loudly so that Karis awakened and realized he'd been dreaming. Groggy, he got up from his cot stumbled over to a light switch, flicked it on, and then moved to the desk and picked up the phone. It was Sharon. What time was it? He asked her. A little after three. Could he come to the house right now? Oh, God. Karis inwardly groaned. And yet, yes, he said. Yes, he would come. And once again, he felt trapped, smothered, and meshed. He lurched into his white-tiled bathroom, where he splashed cold water on his face, and, drying off, he suddenly remembered Father Lucas and the dream. What did it mean? Perhaps nothing. He would think about it later. When about to leave his room, at the door, Karis stopped, turned around, and came back for a black woolen sweater. And as he tugged it down, he abruptly stopped, numbly, staring at the end table by the corner chair. Taking a breath, and then a slow step forward, he reached down to the ashtray, picked up a cigarette butt, and then stood motionless for a time as he held it up to his stunned surmise. It was a galwa, racing thoughts, suppositions, a coldness, then an urgency. Watch out for Sharon. Karis placed the galwa butt back into the ashtray, hurried from his room and down the hall, and then out onto Prospect Street, where the air was thin and still and damp. And that is that. Hmm. Hmm. The hell does that mean? <laughs> I, okay, like, let's let's get into it. As, as, uh, as Kara says, let's get into it. Yeah, what? Yeah. So, yeah, thoughts, Keenan? Um, I don't understand exactly. It feels mm. really late to be introducing this thread, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Father, Father Lucas. Well, not not just Father Lucas, but the idea that Karis is the per, is the person who is doing the desecrations. 
Okay, so that's what you like, like what he was saying. Like he was hinting that this was Karis the whole time, and now Kar- the whole time, the whole time, <laughs> and now Karis is thinking. So Karis is feeling guilt, like oh, perhaps he is is experiencing something like dissociative identity disorder and doing mm-hmm. doing the desecrations. Um, I mean, this must be what fifty pages from the end of the book. I mean, this yeah, is very. Yeah. This is we're almost done. Very odd, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, maybe that mm-hmm. would be. Maybe that'd be interesting earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why. And then, you know, 40, 40 years later, yeah. <laughs> adding, adding all of this. And, you know, we haven't quite talked about this. Um, mm. Like the, the TV YNS, the version you've never seen, right? Right, right. I, I was mentioning way early on that it's like, well, you know, this is part of that moment in the uh, late 1990s and early 2000s when mm-hmm. it was really attractive for a, um, a studio to re-release a movie and to do these um, addition, these alternate cuts, right? Because that's on DVD and Blu-ray and we could have, we could basically sell you several copies of The Exorcist, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it is, it's Blatty who was really pushing for TVYNS, right? Mm, I, I'm not sure. I have heard, I, so I had originally thought it was mostly Friedkin and the studio. And mm-hmm. then I've heard more recently that it was Blatty like asking Friedkin, hey, come on, let's put some of this stuff back in that when we were making the film, we had to cut out. And I had acceded to you about, you know, this change and that change and asking, you know, you know, the stuff that, that we sort of agree on that's pretty good, like the stairs stuff. The right? stairs stuff. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah. the spider walk, right? And the spider walk. And then, and then also like, I mean, I'm pretty sure if it was, if it was, if I had to choose which one of the Billy's wanted the the extended ending with Dyer and Kinderman, <laughs> I would say that's probably Blatty. Yeah. So so yeah, adding adding this forty years later in the book. Yeah. Yeah, makes me feel like he's uh, which would what that would be after TVYNS. So right. Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe Blatty, maybe Blatty's to blame for all this. It, it's so weird. I don't know. Like I tried to like like keep it out of my voice as I was reading uh-huh. it. And, and as I'm mentioning it, uh, maybe not. I mean, like, I think, I think I'm kind of like an open book about this, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if, if le- folks, I don't know if leading up to this, you could hear how I feel about it in my voice, right? No, you did very well. Okay. But I'm, I'm here to say right now. Yeah. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why he added it. I don't right. know what the purpose of this new character is. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who he is supposed to be. Right. Like that's the thing that bothers me the most because he's Okay. He's obviously supernatural, mm-hmm. right? Because he knows way more than he should about Karis and the McNeils, right? Mm-hmm. About about Karis's mother and all that stuff, right? Yeah. He's obviously evil because <laughs> he's trying to tell Karis uh, uh, to give up on the McNeils, right? Mm-hmm. He must be a demon, but like in the places where the hints would be, like his clothes, his appearance, the mm-hmm. cigarettes, the dandruff, like the soft-boiled egg stain <laughs> on his shirt, he's overweight. He's balding. He has long, stringy red hair, right? These things are at the same time so specific and so vague like, he goes out of his way to name the brand of cigarettes that this guy smokes and mm-hmm. to tell us that they're different from what Karis smokes, right? He gives more – he actually gives more physical description to this character than he does uh, to Karis. Right. Right? Like, Karis – like, and, and I went back and I looked. Like, how, how does he describe Karis? It says, dark, rugged face, like a boxer's, chipped, mm-hmm. in his 40s, something sad about the eyes. That's it. Right. We assume that Karis's hair is short and black because Jason Miller, right? Mm-hmm. But Blatty's describing this guy – and it feels like he's winking at us, like, see, see, overweight, red hair, dandruff, gawasit. And I'm like, I don't, like, no, Blatty, I don't see. Like, what is that? What does it mean? Like, you gave him the name Father Lucas. I think I know where you're going with that. Like, like what? Well, it's like, like Lucifer, mm-hmm. right? But if you're going to go that way, call him Lucius, not Lucas. Lucas is closer to Luke, right? Mm-hmm. 
And what I, like, like, that's what I think you're trying to get at. But like, if you're going to wink at me, then like fucking wink. He's got like, don't his hold long back. teeth. That's a weird way of describing it. Long, yeah, long teeth. nicotine stained teeth, right? He's got red hair, right? No one with red hair could be a good man. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the Middle Ages where they were all burned as witches, right? right? Like red hair, right. Deviled eggs, perhaps, instead of soft oh, God. eggs. On the <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. That's what it is. And um, um, yeah, that sulfur smell from eggs, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. And uh, Keenan, mm-hmm. um, did it hurt? <laughs> did, did what hurt? When this guy fell from heaven? Yeah, it broke his fucking legs. <laughs> Did you catch that? I was, I was, I was biting my tongue whenever he was like, it's like, oh, just, you know, it's like, what, what happened to your legs? And he's like, oh, oh, this happened in a fall. And I want to be like, get it, Keenan? Get, cause he fell? Cause he's a fallen angel? Like, so yeah, some of those things are like really, really obvious. And then some of those things like, like dandruff, what is, what is dandruff? Yeah. Like what, what is any of this? Right. Right. Like. And this actually reminded me of um, another book, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Have you read or heard of that, Keenan? I've heard of it, and it's a TV okay. show now. Yeah, but yeah, it's a TV show now. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't um, read Neil Gaiman. Yeah, the book. The book is amazing, folks. Mm. I highly recommend go go uh, check it out. And actually, I'm going to spoil it just a little bit. So if you want to go check that out and not have it spoiled for you, don't listen to this little bit. <laughs> just skip ahead, like you know, 15 seconds. Well, I don't know. We we go long, so you know. <laughs> But like, okay, yeah, spoilers for American Gods, folks. It's a uh, modern day fantasy story where all of the gods of all of the religions and mythologies are still around and they're like walking around disguised as people, right? And so our hero meets one of them who calls himself Mr. Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Already, already great name. I am intrigued, right? This guy wears mostly gray, mostly suits, right? And he's got a silver tie pin in the shape of a tree with long branches and deep roots, right? He's also missing an eye. Mm-hmm. Right? Also very interesting, right? And our hero asks him, oh, how'd you lose your eye? And Mr. Wednesday says, didn't lose it. I still know exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's intriguing. Like, I want to know more about Mr. Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's if you don't already know who he is, right? Like, if you do know the mythology where he comes from, that doesn't spoil it. It actually makes it better because you're uh-huh. like, oh, very good, Neil Gaiman. I see what you're doing. It's like, because all of that stuff, like all of these little hints, all of these little winks fit perfectly with who this guy really is. Mm-hmm. And then later you find out that he is Odin, mm-hmm. the Norse god Odin, right? And you're like, okay, Odin always wears gray. He traded his eye for knowledge. He hung himself on that tree, right? There's, that's the pin he wears. And Wednesday comes from Woden's Day, Odin's Day, right? Uh, I always forget that. Yeah, right? And that's where we get the days of the week, right? Like Thor's Day comes after Woden's Day, right? Mm-hmm. Thursday, right? And so it's very good, very clever, very punny, not too obvious, but also not too cryptic. Mm-hmm. And it's even better than that because Neil Gaiman makes Wednesday into a fully fleshed character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Neil Gaiman's Wednesday likes Jack Daniels. He likes rare steak. He's fascinated by like kitschy Americana and tourist traps and greasy spoon diners, right? He's this old down at heel con artist who hires the hero for a job, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's removed enough from the character of Odin to be its own thing, right? Like Gandalf is closer to, to actual Odin, right? Wednesday is like if Odin were a grifter in 90s America, right? And so, like, what I'm trying to say is, folks, Gaiman, Neil Gaiman, did a really great job with Wednesday. All of his hints, all of his little winks served the character really, really well. Blatty and Father Lucas, I don't I don't know if this is just because he's, like, 40 years removed from the story. Uh-huh. I don't know if this was, like, like pressure from the higher-ups to, to include this. But ultimately, it reminds me of times when this was done better, 
Right. Right. Like obviously because I, I just hijacked the show to talk about a different book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Keenan, who do you think this is? Well, I'm going to run, run his name through, um, anagram solver. <laughs> Lucas? We, Father Ed Lucas. Do we have anything? Ed um, Lucas, Edward Lucas. Father, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Hmm. No, we didn't find any twelve-letter words. But hmm. maybe if I get rid of Ed here, what do we get here? We get Sulcral Fate. <laughs> no, so I don't think. I so. think I think Lucas is just supposed to be Lucifer. Yeah, but that's that's, that's the, not very good. I know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's 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 dumb. <laughs> like you would you would think it would be like if you're gonna like if it if it's that obvious, make it more obvious. Go mm. all the way. Make it Lucius. Yeah. Right. Lucifer you know? Morningstar. That's your yeah. uh, that's your other Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Right. Make him. Hey, we had Father Morning in Exorcist Three. Mm-hmm. Have him be like, like, have him not say his first name at all. Say, "Oh, my name is Father Morning." Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's a funny name for a priest. <laughs> that's a, that's you know. not a name. <laughs> yeah. But then, okay. Then I started looking at the. Um, uh, I forget how you uh, spell these. The Galois. He says it in the um, in the audiobook. He, uh-huh. he pronounces it Galois. Um, it's G A U L O I S E S. Pronounced Galois or Galois. Uh-huh, yeah, Galois. Yeah. 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 I don't, I've so never it, heard of that before. I, ha- I have not either. But like, obviously, Blatty is like pointing it to it. He's like, hey, look, Galois, Galois. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so it's a French cigarette. Um, 1910, unfiltered. Its, it's logo looks like kind of mercury. It looks like a helmet with wings on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a very, yeah, it looks like, like, yeah, like the mercury helmet. Yeah, um, I don't know it, what's going on here. It's from France. Um, what is what is the meaning? What is what is legal um, problems? The the was manufactured. Nineteen ninety approved the landmark year. It means Gaulish. What like, is Ga- what like is Gaulish? French, like Gaul. What does that tell me? <laughs> it doesn't say. It doesn't say anything. <laughs> it doesn't tell me anything. None of this is helpful. But why does he? Why does he care? About, <laughs> are there? Wait, wait, wait. Okay, now I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm just gonna Google. We're doing this live. All right. I'm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to. CaptainHowdy.com okay. <laughs> and seeing what, what we find out here. Devil-themed cigarettes. Is there is there a better cigarette brand? Mm-hmm. Let's see. I would think, like, if, if if there was a cigarette that this guy smoked, it would be, like, some kind of, like, with a little, you know, you know, like a little cartoon devil on it or something. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything. Yeah, and our friends at CaptainHowdy.com don't seem to care for this either. They don't have any ideas. Oh, they don't like it? They're like, I don't know. They're comparing this to George Lucasing. There we go. That's the closest thing I can think of. Father Father Lucas Lucas is is George Lucasing. He's George Lucas, and he's... And he's and he's ruining this original story. <laughs> right. Be careful of Sharon. Sharon will tell you to leave well enough alone. <laughs> what is Okay, that's the other thing. Watch out for Sharon. Yeah. Why? And that doesn't come up again in the book. Of- no. <laughs> what is what does Karis have to watch out for? Like I assume he's saying, like, don't listen to Sharon, just leave the McNeils alone. Uh-huh. But he's he's saying it in this way. Like he's like he leans over like, watch out for Sharon. Right. Like what, like Sharon's gonna get you. Like, like what is Sharon hiding? Like, there's nothing. Yeah. I don't understand, <laughs> Blatty. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But okay, I think I think I think we can both agree, Keenan. Uh huh. Father Lucas is not a good guy. He's the devil, or something. You th- okay? Okay, that's what I'm. Th- okay. Maybe he's not the devil. Maybe he's a <laughs> devil. Ooh. Okay. So that's another question. Is this a separate demon from Captain Howdy? 
No. This isn't, this isn't, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, how would that work? No, what I'm, what I'm saying is, because that's, that's how I read it, okay? So mm-hmm. yeah, full disclosure, this is, this is what I'm taking it to be, right? This is Captain Howdy's having some trouble. So HR <laughs> comes to Karis in a dream and says, hey, you know, let our guy do his thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But this, this, so Father Lucas is not Captain Howdy. He's like a different devil stepping in. He is that not from what you the, got? He comes from the home office. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I I don't know what what we're supposed to get from all of this. So you think this? So you're closer to this is Captain Howdy? I mean, it's his dream. I don't really necessarily think of a big like like. So you think everything in the dreams is something? I don't know. I, like because <laughs> we have our other dream where it's it's crazy nonsense, and and some of it is like, of course, you want to read into it and say like, oh, it's all real. And like I've I've mm-hmm. even done that. I've been like, well, look, his mother comes up from the subway station. She's in hell, right? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I don't I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> Lester, to See, be but that that's cleaner. It makes yeah. it like it makes more sense because even even if she isn't objectively in hell, yeah. that's what Damien He's would worry about. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he would dream about this, but like this seems like something. This okay. I think we both agree this is an outside force messing with. Karis's dream. He didn't. This isn't like Karis's delusion. Oh, if it were <laughs> if it were better, I would say it is an outside force. Since uh-huh. it's not quite there for me literarily, I'm like, no, this is just Karis's. This is just Karis. Yeah, his his id uh, or his um yeah, his not his id, his ego, his super yeah. ego, trying to talk to him. Yeah, folks, I like I've been waiting for this reading because like I I am stumped. Mm-hmm. I do not know who this is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can think is that it is like the devil or a devil trying to um, throw Karis off the scent or get him to like turn away. All right. That's what it seems like. But I cannot like if that's what it is, I personally don't think Blatty did a good enough job of like uh, telegraphing that to us. And this is one of the biggest changes in the the edition, right? This is the big change. This is the big change. Okay, so he cared enough about this to do another edition of the book. Yeah, like like brand new and like it's even like advertised like um I think like either on the cover or in the little like like blurb it's like you know with a brand new scene and a brand new character mm. and it's like so you would think like you would walk away from this not scratching your head being like what the hell was that like Right. But that's that's what we're all doing. It's like I have no idea <laughs> who this is supposed to be. You've had 40 years uh, yeah. of a bill to figure this out. <laughs> and folks, I mean, like, you know, you listen to our show. You know right. that, like, I I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not above really stupid, obvious puns. <laughs> like, if this guy, if this guy showed up mm. in a, in a, like, you know, in a, in a, uh, um, a sparkling white suit and he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's got like blonde hair and he's like, you know, it's slicked back and he looks very, you know, like kind of Lucifer-y, you know, uh, you know, and he looks all proper and he's perfectly manicured nails mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Right. Like I, I would be like, yeah, okay. You know, like it's, it's a little bit on the nose, but like I would rather on the nose than this isn't even on the face. Right. This is like, what, what is this? Like, I don't even know. Like the devil, I have never associated the devil with dandruff mm-hmm. or, or egg stains on your shirt, <laughs> right? So then, then then my question is like, okay, is this not the devil? Then who is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. This would have been, right, one of the, one of the last things Blatty did in his mm-hmm. work was mm-hmm. this 40th anniversary yep. Yep. thing. Hmm. Yeah, so folks, yeah, I'm, 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 very like as as much as as much as my tone of voice seems to you know say like I am annoyed by this I am 
deeply interested in this. Like, I want to figure this out. Like, so if you have any ideas as to like who this is, um, please write in. The yeah, I'd love to gmail. hear that. Com. It looks like the wider fandom is is wondering that as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, in any case, right, uh, this doesn't happen in the movie, obviously, because Blatty added it way later, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In the movie, Karis never falls asleep, but instead he is entranced with this tape. You could almost say hypnotized, Mm -hmm. I guess, right? Um, He's fallen so deep into this tape uh, that when the phone rings, he jumps out of his skin. And I am right there with them. This thing gets me every single time. (laughs) That's a good jump scare. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I wanted to talk about jump scares and I'm the one who um, said we should name it that way because like it's it's the scariest movie of all time for some people, right? But when Mm -hmm. we think about jump scares in the movie, I can only think of two, I suppose. There's, there might be more, mm. right? But like, mm. what are their jump wait, scares? Wait, wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Yeah, um, yeah. What are the jump oh, scares you asking? Let's see. Okay, well, there's this one. There's the one with the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other one I can think of is uh, when she when she barfs on him. That first oh, time. that's that's a good yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that as a jump scare. It's like, what is what is my mother's maiden name? Right. And it cuts back to her, and he's like focused so intently on her, and then she just like, Bleh, you know. yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that one as a jump scare because because mm. we're not even yeah yeah because that that's a really good point though. Yeah, the other mm. one I can think of is when Chris is up in the attic with her candle, right? <gasps> and we have that candle that comes out of nowhere and scares the crap right. out of her, and, and Carl's yes. like, like I gave you the exploding brand of candle, right? Yes. <laughs> like, Carl, I'm very sorry, <laughs> right? Um. Yeah, so I was I was thinking about that. So I wanted to say, you know, about about jump scares. Um, mm. We we've been on this podcast, sitting at the dark, uh, sitting in the mm-hmm. dark, the true story uh, FM podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And over there, we had Tommy Metz, who's one of the hosts, who talks about his interpretation of the difference between terror and horror. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tommy's Tommy's definition. There's a couple of uh, definitions out there. Tommy's yeah. definition is an interesting one, especially when it relates to possession type movies or the extra type mm. movies. He says that terror is a clean, unemotional, like primal emotion, mm. right? Like the kind, like basically fight or flight. Right, right. right. So if you if you're walking down this the um you know walking you know down a hallway and then you turn the corner and there's a lion or something. <laughs> right, like right. Things happen to your body that mm-hmm. are pre-programmed in you and you experience terror. But mm-hmm. he says for him, horror has an emotionality to it um, that is about you know, like repercussions and and for him in the possession movie schema, right? It mm-hmm. is like horror is about oh god, like like how how terrible it is that that we as people would have to experience that. Or mm-hmm. uh, for possession movies, it's often about like our our sin right our main character sin that's being now exploited by this force of horror this monster is about about our emotions rather than just scaring you right yes it's it's less uh reactionary more like of an examination almost it's like yeah existential right so you know some people will extrapolate horror and terror terror being more like in the thriller movies right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and so some people say that Uh, i i was looking i was listening to um uh nina nesseth who is a Uh an author and she was on this podcast i really love called on the media talking about fear and Mm. she she is uh she approaches pop culture through a science lens Okay. So she has a book called Nightmare Fuel, The Science of Horror Films, which came out Ooh. last year, and she was talking about that. And her mm. interpretation of horror versus terror, I don't think she invented this. Um, I don't think she coined this because I've seen it some mm. other places, but she communicates it really well. Mm-hmm. That, um, that terror is our fear of what's coming up, and horror is our fear having um, responded to something that happened. Oh, yeah, so I that's really different like from that. Tom, yeah. I like Tommy's a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. This other one is is different. They're they're kind of mutually exclusive, I think. But but mm. yeah, I like that a lot, right? Like like oh, terror. I'm in that dark hallway, 
and something is out there. And, oh, it's a lion, and that's scary. The lion might right. eat me, right? Mm-hmm. Horror is is about, like, I turn the corner and a lion is eating somebody, right? Right. right? And I have to, I'm responding and reacting to that, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. horror, right? Maybe somebody you know, even, or yes, something like Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Or that could be me, or look what the human body, look what happens to the human body when yes. the lion eats it, and, and, you know, the deeper repercussions of that, right? So, again, not to, like, qualify the, like, oh, horror is deeper or more important than, than mm-hmm. thrillers, et cetera. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's a really good uh, bifurcation, I think, right? Yes. So when, when a phone rings or a candle mm-hmm. explodes or someone pukes on us, it's just like, ah, 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 yeah. right? We're just so pissed at it <laughs> that it, it could scared be. us, right? It, it could be. I mean, it could be like a the 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 scare mm-hmm. could be the transition from one to another yeah. because we can say that as Karis is listening to that tape he is feeling horror mm-hmm. right right and then bam you know <laughs> the phone rings and we're like ah, no. you know <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so I like I like this interpretation of it. Both Tommy and uh, Nina Nesseth's uh, version of it, right, makes room for it that it's not so clean that one is in thrillers and one is in horror films because horror movies right. have both of them, right? They, it almost, they have to have both the thriller and the, the terror and the horror. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, it, well, it almost seems like, and, and tell me if, um, if, I'm, if I'm on the money here, Keenan, but it almost seems like both of them are saying that like with terror, your question is, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And with horror, it's what does this mean? That that feels right for both of those. Yeah, I mm. think that's right. Oh, good. Now right. you got to label that the Clark uh, the Clark interpretation. The Clark Clark interpretation. <laughs> and and I think it, folks like because this goes back to like okay, you you're walking down that hallway, same hallway, right? You turn the corner and you see a lion, right? Or or let's let's make it even cleaner, right? Like you turn the hallway and you see somebody with a gun pointed mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. you, right? That's terror. It's like oh shit, what do I do? Right? right? I'm going to die, right? right. Versus you turn the corner and you see a ghost, right? Mm-hmm. Like it goes back to like in our Halloween episode, I was talking about like, you see a ghost, a ghost may not necessarily do anything to you, but just seeing it, it's like, this is a, a, mm, uh, this calls into question everything that I thought right. was, was true, right? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like d- th- this is what happens when people die apparently. Right. And what does that mean for me? What does that, you know? Um, yeah. Like just like the existential, you know, hearing, uh, uh, this uh, this voice on this tape for Karis is like he's he's asking himself what does this mean right is this a sick girl and if that's true what does it mean that she is able to do this so convincingly or is this a demon and what does that mean for the for for the universe right, right? and my yeah. mother right what does it mean and for my, my mother, mother right yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think it's interesting right like we've talked a little bit about you know a lot of my students who watch The Exorcist are are bored by it right. Interesting. You know, mm. it, it's just, it's, it is made in a different time and there are different conventions for mm. what a horror movie is. And, you know, the lack of things like jump scares or or even the kind of thing that happened in Exorcist 3, like these long takes where we're just waiting for things and we are really dreading something coming out of the out of the blackness. Like we don't really mm. have that in The Exorcist, right? Right, right. We have it in just very few moments. So it really is more of the, the, the um, implications or the uh, repercussions of, of these things, right? Yeah. What does it mean? It's, it's yeah. existential as opposed to mm-hmm. scary. And I don't, I don't really want to downplay the power of a jump scare. Like I don't like being scared by a jump scare. Like it annoys mm. me in a, in a trailer, you know, when I'm watching something, it was like, you know, it's, it, it, it is, I don't want to say it's easy. I don't want to say it's cheap, but it, you can engineer it. You can engineer it, right? Like you can mm-hmm. like, we're going to take the sound out. We're going to stare at something for longer than is comfortable for us. We're going to deny the audience the rhythm of editing that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to partner um, a change in the image with a change in the sound. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like it's, it's craft. It's very, it's, you know, it's, it's, 
when they do that, it takes talent. So I don't want to downplay mm-hmm. that whatsoever. It's just right. not necessarily something that I have fun, you know, happening yeah. to me. <laughs> I think I think it is it it is a manipulation mm-hmm. of our uh, of our of our emotions of our feelings mm-hmm. right. with with horror even though it's an uncomfortable feeling we are we are led to that place mm-hmm. right like we are we are led to the um, consideration of the existence of the devil the existence of ghosts the exi- you know it's like oh what does that mean mm-hmm. hmm, let me let me ponder and part- pontificate you know, the movie has given me this space and this time to think right mm-hmm. where like if it's a jump scare the movie's like no like you're gonna feel what I want you to feel right now yeah no matter what like we don't we don't have a choice right, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's the equivalent of I guess now like you know when you're walking and you're um you're listening to a piece of music and your you know the cord of your earbuds uh, hits the um uh, one of the knobs of a drawer and mm-hmm. your your earbuds get ripped out and you're right. like motherfucker right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so or, maybe- or when you when you're scared by a um a, a non dangerous insect that flies in front of your face mm-hmm. and before it was like oh yeah you know I love moths right. I think they're they're beautiful and I think they add to the ecosystem and mm-hmm. uh, you know I would never want to kill a moth but the minute one flies in your face it's like fuck are you dead right without you even thinking about it right yeah right yeah it, it hijacks your your nervous system Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so maybe maybe that is more fun, right? For the students who are going, my my young students who are going to see a horror movie for fun, um, you know. So maybe that is more fun to just have have your nervous system hijacked for a moment, and then you could laugh about it. Which I mean, that that's demonstrably more fun than mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the kind of questions that we're talking about in the exercise. Mm-hmm. So it might be it might be why that movie might not appeal to everyone and everybody's you know horror is not yeah. a monolith right there are people yeah. who go to yeah horror if the exorcist were a were a ride in an amusement park yeah. it would be the most depressing ride <laughs> <laughs> compared to like if um oh what are what are some what are some jump scary like if friday the 13th were a ride yeah. right yeah like paranormal the floor would drop and you go whoa yeah <laughs> right right all paranormal all these twists and turns and, yeah jump stairs right yeah yeah right? yeah that, that's certainly but more fun the exorcist is just you sitting in a dark room and then at one point you hear your mother's voice. <laughs> well, no, in in that ride, right? You you have to. They require you. You must be accompanied by your mother. Oh yes. Okay. And then you're going through it, and then and then she she gets led astray into a different part of the ride. You lose your <laughs> you mother. You lose your mother, and then she keeps popping up every once in a while. Right, right. And they tell but her somehow, the ride is over. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that, <laughs> and and they convince you that like it's your fault that she got lost. <laughs> Right. And then they gaslight you. It's like, you're, no, you came in here alone. What are you talking about? Mother? I don't see any mother. I don't know. There's no mothers here. It's like, I, I'm sorry. Did you come in here with your mother? Did you, did you lose your mother? Oh, my gosh. What a horrible son you are. Right, right. Oh, and oh, I'll, I'll get you your mother again. That'll be $250,000. Yeah. I don't make enough. I, you don't make enough money to save your mother. Oh. Wow. Wow. Is it, well, you, I guess you should have chosen a better job. <laughs> What's your job again? Oh, teacher. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, well, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you feel really great answering that call and, uh, you know, helping, helping the younger generation. Meanwhile, um, your mother's lost in this ride. Um, right. There's nothing. I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> she sucks cocks in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's the next part of the ride that you're not allowed to go into. <laughs> And instead of like a costume character, like a costume Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse, it's co- it's Uncle Tito coming out of here. Yeah. Hey, hey, I tear you up. Hey, let me tell you. <laughs> you lost her. What do you mean you yeah, lost her? Yeah, lost her. It's like, it's like, well, then don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then they let you out of the ride. And it's like, all right, well, you know, go back to your life. Go back to your um, teaching position that you're really, uh, you know, that, you, that you're really grateful for. And uh, yeah, yeah. You're just saving the world. Yeah, yeah and your students you? tell you that the movie you're dedicating a year and a half to is boring. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't you feel? Don't you feel like shit now? <laughs> the Exorcist ride. <laughs> Exit. People lining up shop. around the block. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, and just one more thing. And he leans in closer as if he's going to tell you a secret, and then he just barfs all over you. <laughs> yeah, we're not cleaning that up. Just get out of here. <laughs> God, what a horrible! I can see why they haven't made an exorcist ride. <laughs> uh, one of these days, when we yeah. have all the money in the world to lose on this ride, mm-hmm, we'll mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I mean, okay, yeah. What were we talking about? Um, but yeah, so yeah, back to back to this movie. Um, oh, oh no, that re- okay, that reminded me. Um, somebody else said this. We're, I'm, I'm stealing this from um, uh, another podcast. The villain was right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, they were they were reviewing uh, the never ending story and they were talking about how because you were talking about you talking about jump scares mm-hmm. um, uh, got me thinking about this. Um, Keenan, in that movie, he's reading a book. Right. And he gets a jump scare from a book. <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> How does it, I mean, I know how it happens in the movie because right. we, we escape into his mind and he's imagining stuff and then like, you know, like, and then the goblin leapt out at him from the corner right. and the character in the book would get a jump scare. <laughs> but how are you reading words on a page and suddenly you're like, ah, you, you know, you know, I like to think of myself as a big reader. That's never happened to me. <laughs> never. I don't think it can. I think, and I think that's the, uh, I guess the, the, it's a different realm that the written word is working with, right? right? Like that's a little bit more horror, right? Right. I like wonder, you can get. Could you do it in a play? Oh yeah. I think you could do it in a, a jump, well, a I mean, jump scare. A jump scare watching a play, maybe not reading a play. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. Watching a play. So I, to be or not to be. Ah. <laughs> but like certainly movies and radio, you can do a jump scare, right? Because you can manipulate yeah. the audio. I guess, I guess, yeah. In a modern play, you can manipulate the audio. Yeah. You would have to have that, right? Yeah. Oh, and I, I've seen, I've seen like things. I've, I've seen even like, you know, like a character thinks that they're alone on stage mm-hmm. because the spotlight is trained on them and then the lights go up and uh-huh. then there's another person there, Jesus, right? I you don't know. like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, no, no. Like, like lots of, lots of good jump scares in plays, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, in a book, in a book. like how does that, <laughs> and how do you get a book that never ends? Yeah. I, I do not know. <laughs> Right, take it back to the bookstore the next day. I -hmm. this says never ending story. I I, I stayed up all night and I read it. It ended. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Jump scares of bounds. Oh yeah. Also, this book's defective. It has jump scares in it. (laughs) It has jump scares in it. Yeah. Yeah, Look at yourself. Look at yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he reads. God, yeah, we got to tell the manufacturer about this. Yeah, There's a, a recall on this book. Yeah, danger, choking hazard, and jump scares, <laughs> right? But no, like, like you can read, like you can be reading The Exorcist mm-hmm. in a darkened room, yeah. and you think you're alone in the house, and then somebody slams the door, and you right. can get a jump scare Absolutely. from that. Right. Yeah, but not from the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly Falcor dropped from the sky. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> You're my never-ending okay, okay. buddy, Falcor. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I, I'm 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 not doing it justice, folks. Go to the villain was right and listen to their their interpretation of it. But uh, <laughs> but actually, okay. So you were talking about the difference between horror and terror, mm-hmm. Keenan. I think actually. <clears throat> and I might be wrong about this. You were talking about like there's different um, kind of theories on this. Yeah. The first one, the first one that I heard, and it might be the origin of it, is in uh, Stephen King's Dance Macabre, mm-hmm. where he kind of like talks about the anatomy of um, scares mm-hmm. and fear, and he talks about. And I think he has a a very um, particular definition of 
horror, terror, and um, I think there's a third one that he uh, calls like I think it's like the gross out or okay. something like mm-hmm. that, right? And he says, um, I think I think he's kind of like telling on himself a little bit mm-hmm. that he um, that he goes for the gross out like maybe more often than uh, than he should, right? Um, which I would agree with, but uh, you know, you know, he writes uh, a, like a book every nine months, and you know, yeah. he's, like for he's real, like a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, Keen, uh, Ian uh, uh, told this story because we were like we were talking about like a very rich person. I forget who it was. It wasn't Elon Musk. at the time. <laughs> but um, we were like, uh, oh, did you know, like like somebody did the calculations and it's like every time so and so sneezes. Mm-hmm. I think it was Bill Gates. It's like every time Bill Gates sneezes, he makes like a million dollars. And then I was like, hmm. I wonder how many, how much money Stephen King makes when he sneezes. And he's like, he doesn't. He's too busy writing. <laughs> Because that man is always writing. He's always writing. Yeah, yeah. So as much yeah. as, you know, criticize King for whatever, he mm-hmm. has many, many more books than anybody I know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the work ethic on that man right. is, uh, yeah, is, um, well, I wouldn't go up there if I were you. That's the old King place and he's busy. Leave right. him alone. Very busy. Yes. He's writing another, um, Carrie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> another Shining. Mm-hmm. It's called Shinings. <laughs> <laughs> it's different from Doctor Sleep, you know. Oh yeah, it's very different. <laughs> very, very different. Right, right. And there's a sequel to that one. It's called Doctor Slept. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, just, just get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Rita Hayworth and another Shawshank Redemption. Yes. The Blue Mile. <laughs> I don't know. The Sit. Um, <laughs> Uh, fire put outer. <laughs> fire finisher. <laughs> the the undead zone. <laughs> <laughs> the Tommy uh, doorbell ringers. <laughs> uh, okay, 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 okay. okay. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we're missing some yeah, gems. We are, there, yeah. right? Yeah, Salem's a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I know why Captain Howdy laughs and cries. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right. Uh, so, so yeah. So we were talking about how this part in the movie gets me every single time, mm-hmm. right? Like, like even reviewing this minute, Keenan, like down to the second, like. I know it's coming. It still gets me. And Jason Miller's reaction is like so good here, right? And the reason it's so good, Keenan, do you know about this? I have a feeling I know, yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, folks. The reason Jason Miller looks genuinely scared and on edge is because Friedkin had just fired one of his many guns, <laughs> which he had on set with him. Apparently, he would have more than one gun. This is the first time hearing of this, yeah. right? More than one gun hidden on set. And so the actors were never quite sure if he was going to use one that day or if he had run out of guns. <laughs> There's no more guns. That's it, you know? like, mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, so now... Jason Miller says this um, <clears throat> in the uh, the Fear of God documentary that this this is the thing that really pissed him off, mm-hmm. right? Understand, understandably so, right? Like being used in this way. We were just talking about um, how jump scares are kind of manipulative, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're manipulating your emotions. They're forcing you 
to feel something right away, right? And you have it's it's, it's you have no consent over this, right. right? And that is the thing that really, really pissed him off, right? Uh, being caught off guard in that way. And I think earlier I had attributed this moment to the pea soup scene, mm-hmm. but I believe this is where like he actually got up in in uh, Billy Freakin's face and said like, "Don't ever do that again. I'm an actor." Mm-hmm. This must be shooting blanks, right? Because we're on. Like I'm not saying any of it is good. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. like, and there are, you know, myriad examples of why you shouldn't be playing, even with guns that have blanks in them. Right. right. You could you could give Max von Sydow a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he just looks old. He's very young. Well, in yeah. the- <laughs> I, I forgot. Yeah. Right. 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 But like he couldn't he he couldn't be shooting a bullet into the dorms at the at the, this is at Fordham at right? Georgetown University yeah. or at Fordham. Yes, right. Because right, this is recording shooting at Fordham. Fordham right? Yeah. You yeah. can't just fire like have bullet. We're holes. literally shooting at Fordham. Yeah. <laughs> have bullet holes places, right? So this must be blanks. Yeah. But even that is dangerous. I mean, so just yeah. to be clear about that, like it, it is. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing because it's just so out of like insane. It is actually yeah. insane to do this. But yeah, to yeah. shoot a blank and people like um, you know Jason Lee died from blanks. Right. right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When, folks, we're laughing at the at the horror of yeah, it. it. Just it, to bring yeah. it back, right? You're right like, exactly. <laughs> it's the horror. It's like we're thinking about like what the hell is wrong with this guy, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I do believe um, in my research. Uh, he has admitted in an interview. It's like, oh no, no, they were all blanks. You're right. But it's like, that does, yeah, does not make it so, okay, right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Now, apparently, everyone eventually got used to this. Again, <laughs> like in in the fear of God, Owen Roisman actually says that Max von Sydow would show up on set, and he's like, "Morning, Owen. Like, where are the guns this morning?" Mm-hmm. And Owen would say, "Well, there's a forty-five behind that wall, and a shotgun behind that one. Mm-hmm. A shotgun, right, Keenan." <laughs> a fucking shotgun, and yeah, and there's and, not like a shotgun in the movie as a prop. No. So. So it's not like he, he was, which again is wrong. He, it's mm-hmm. not like he was dicking around with the props that are on set. He brought guns specifically. Yeah. Right. right. These are, this is specifically my acting gun. <laughs> right. You might have your method and I got mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. This, this is my method. Yeah. <laughs> right. He holds right. the old one up. In the, this one's Stanislavski and this one's Meisner. <laughs> <laughs> And this one, this little pistol that goes, <laughs> this is Strasbourg. Right? <laughs> Any Godfather 2 people, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he does that. He's like, this is the life <laughs> we have chosen. <laughs> I love that because I do that. Uh-huh. Like I make that noise with my 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 nose. Um, and uh, like when he did that, I was like, oh, oh, somebody else just like me. <laughs> yeah. And, and Keenan. This is the thing I can't wrap my head around. Like in the same documentary, in the same section, we have all of the actors, right? We have Max von Sydow, we have uh, Ellen Burstyn, like saying how much they loved Billy right. and working with Billy, mm-hmm. but also that he was a maniac. Right. And like, I just kept thinking, it's like, what kind of superhuman magnetism does this guy possess mm-hmm. that he would al- that would allow him to get away with stuff like this and still be loved by his actors, if maybe not fully trusted? Right. Like, or do you think they're like saying this for the camera? They're like, like I don't know. It's probably all of those. It's probably all the things you're talking about, right? Like, like so the patience of Onsido and the patience of Burston um, and the fact that the movie came out well, like maybe, mm-hmm. if the, you know, and, and is now the most famous movie they've made. And if they had, if it had yeah. turned out terribly, maybe they wouldn't be saying these things about <laughs> him, you know? And yeah, and, and I'm, uh, you know, Friedkin is a just wonderful, magnanimous person in interviews. And it just seemed like mm-hmm. he, yeah, he... He is charming, and you know this is a time period where these directors, through the the uh, power of their vision, right with the capital V, they got people to do a lot of crazy things. Like The Exorcist was, you know, a crazier set than I would want. Obviously, with these fake guns and these stunts going right. wrong, but there were other movies 
in the 70s where people did much crazier things like through the force yeah. of the the director and sometimes the screenwriter and sometimes the producer's personalities yeah yeah Hmm. It's also so, Stockholm syndrome, perhaps. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where they're like, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. Billy's Billy's a wonderful <laughs> director. He's so great, right? Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think these same actors would like to do that with um someone they're working with today. Like, I'm sure that yeah. David Gordon Green, if he was mm-hmm. doing that with the new Exorcist, Ellen Burstyn would not be as oh no. About it, right? no, 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 yeah, yeah, that's a that's a thing. Like, you're not, you're no Billy Friedkin, right? right? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, like. I actually, I saw this once on Instagram and I, I could never find it again. I'm so uh, upset that I didn't take a screenshot of it, mm. but there's this, it's like this, um, it's this drawing in pen of, it, it's almost like a, like a, like a one panel comic of Billy Friedkin and he's got his hands on his hips and he's got like, you know, the, the frowny eyebrows and he's looking at the rest of the cast. And so you got Ellen Burstyn, you got Linda Blair, you got uh, uh, the two priests. And even in the back, you have just the Captain Howdy face. And they're all kind of like, they all look terrified of him. And then I think that like the caption, the caption is something like, you know, but what folks didn't know is the real monster on set was William Friedkin, right? right? And like even Captain Howdy is scared of Billy Friedkin. And Folks, if you know what comic I'm talking about, like, please, please bring that back up, like send it to us or put it on the, the Facebook page because I've been looking for it and I cannot find it. But yeah, that'll, that'll tell you. Even Captain Howdy is, is scared of, scared of freaking. Right. Yeah. Different times, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so back to this minute, Karis is badly shaken and Miller <laughs> is badly shaken mm-hmm. as he gets up from the desk and he makes his way over to the phone. Meanwhile, the tape is still playing very loudly in the background. I really like the choice to leave it on. Mm-hmm. Like if it were me, I would have turned it off before answering the phone. Right. But this says something about Karis's like state of mind right now, right? That he didn't even think to turn it off. And then for us, the audience, we get this like uneasy, chaotic feeling. It reminded me actually of um, the Godfather scene where like they call Sonny uh, about Pop right. and the baby is crying. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like I'm, I'm on an important call right now. The world should stop. Right. But it doesn't, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so Karis, we don't, we don't um, know who is on the other line. Right. We don't uh, hear anything. All we, all we see and hear is Karis going, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. And all the while, the demon is just like screaming in the background uh-huh. and, and the scene ends on this extended scream. And this is the cut that I always remember, this scream and this cut. This is um, an L cut? Right. Yeah, you were talking about that okay. earlier, right? Yeah, this is the one you remembered. This is the one I remember, right? We got we got another L cut here, folks, where the sound is a scream. And remember, we had one right after the hypnotism scene, mm-hmm. uh, and and Linda Blair screams, and it cuts to a shot of Jason Miller running right. on the track. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the crucifix scene, where Ellen Burstyn screams, and we cut to Jason Miller walking up, yeah, coming uh, up that, over that hill, right? Up over that hill, right? And now we got another scream and another cut. And another Father Karras <laughs> is running to help. It was this int- intentional? Do you think? Like, because the the L cuts are like the first the first half of the L cut is somebody screaming. Mm-hmm. The second half is Karras coming to help. Yeah, I or think, running. I think or that that might be something that they discover in the edit. Um, mm. It's not in the screenplay, for instance. Whereas nowadays you might you might put that in the screenplay. Like uh, we hear we hear the screams. Um, follow over dot 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 and then we have the slug line for the next scene that's become more right. common um, so I'm mm-hmm. not sure when they would have sort of figured out this pattern but I would imagine that they they yeah they discovered it um, yeah. in production or or pre-production even yeah because it's it's very like because it's never a scream and then Kinderman right 
it's over or a scream and then dire or right. something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, right. It's always Karis. Karis is always the one on the other side of that scream. Yeah, right? that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it it uh, it cuts, and we are watching as Karis arrives at the house. Right, it's still late at night. Um, if if the book, if we're gonna go by the book, it's like three in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the witching hour, folks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, running up the street right outside the McNeil home. Um, it's another one of these like camera tricks that I love so much in this movie. Like he's running to the camera or so it seems and then he gets there and as he does we see that he has led us to the next shot and it has like become an over the shoulder shot over his shoulder and now we see that Sharon is already outside Dimmy watch out for Sharon watch out for her I don't know why (laughs) just just watch out (laughs) right (laughs) don't don't follow her in any stables that's for sure yeah right (laughs) jeez Watch out for Sharon. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, but yeah, she runs up to the gate to let him in. Um, together, they run back to the house, and they don't even uh, uh, bother to close the gate. That's gotta. That's gotta be a thing. Like you were talking about before, Keenan, where like because it's a movie, you wouldn't do what you normally do because it would look stupid or clunky you don't say, on camera uh, on on the phone. Well, all right, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. (laughs) We cut out all that stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't have people putting on their seatbelts in cars, which is one of my pet peeves. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. just cut that out because it just looks looks awkward and silly in a movie. Right. They don't they don't like you 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 go to the trouble of making breakfast mm-hmm. and then you know suddenly the father is like, oh no, I'm late for work. Right. <laughs> don't even eat it. Right. People brush their teeth and spit, but they don't rinse uh Yeah. Even they don't rinse their mouth and they also don't rinse the um the spit out of the sink. Right. right. Yeah. Cause because uh, that it's like we don't got time for that. Let's, <laughs> we get, we gotta keep this movie moving. Right? right. Yeah. But yeah, like so like in the midst of this tense scene, having to watch Sharon go back and close the gate, that would just be like man, like what like She's like, oh, it's, it's, it's the utmost importance, Father Care. Oh, wait, hang on, hang on. I just got to close the – it's like, no, nah, don't do that, <laughs> right? But yeah, so we cut and we are inside. And not just anywhere. We are upstairs right outside that door. Uh, but we are now looking down over the railing at the ascending steps. And our characters enter the frame and ascend mm-hmm. at a run. They are hurrying right. up those stairs. And as they reach – the first landing right outside Chris's door, Sharon whispers, I don't want Chris to see this. Uh, why? Yeah, that, oh, I see what you're saying. That's interesting. Like, why? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. When when it's the scene outside and he's coming up to her, I'm like, oh, why is it Sharon? Um, that's mm-hmm. interesting to me. I, I love Sharon. I, I like, I'd like yeah. to see more of her. Like, why is no, this happening? Um, okay, it must be something with Chris. Even, even in, like, watching this, like, she, he must mm-hmm. be leading her to where Chris is. Um, Mm -hmm. And then as we're going up the stairs, we sort of realize that she has a flashlight in her hands the whole time, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. But yeah, that's a good question. Why can't Chris see that? Because it's just so bothersome uh, of what we're going to see in the next minute. Is that your idea? That's the that's the only thing that I can think is that, like, let's not tell again with the communication, like in movies, it's like, let's not tell everybody everything because (laughs) then the movie would be short. Right. Right. Like, but like this. Yeah, this genuinely bugged me. And now that I think about it, like Keenan. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. This is the reason that Karis finally lets up and calls for an exorcism. And we, up till now, we have followed Chris mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing as she tries to convince these doctors, this priest, that something isn't right. And it leads up to a scene where she's not even there. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that doesn't bother me when I watch the movie, but now it will. Thanks, Lester. <laughs> that's what we're here for on the exorcist listeners <laughs> you're welcome listeners right the hero we've been following this whole time the whole time and she's not even here no, let's right? let her like sleep. In- she has to get her yeah sleep. let's just let her sleep yeah right <laughs> but it's like it's 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 the same in the book right? right sharon is the one who calls yeah watch out for sharon um 
<laughs> and Karis comes over and sees what he sees and decides to get the exorcism ball rolling. But why not have this be Chris? Why not make this her mic drop? Yeah. Hmm. Right? I have no answer for that. Yeah. And again, listeners, like, write in. Like, what did you, like, did this affect you, like, when you were watching this? Like, I was just like, like, we're rooting for Chris, rooting for Chris. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't get to have her, like, see? <laughs> right. I told you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, not, not that you're mentioning it, it is bothering me the more <laughs> than really. Because it could be, like, yeah, she, like, she shows, she, she shows Karis this, right? You know, what we're going to see in the mm-hmm. next minute. And yeah. then, you know, they have this look, right? She's like, look, I was, I was telling you, right? I told you so, basically. Mm-hmm. He's looking and like, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. And then, and then Chris says, please, call me Mrs. McNeil. <laughs> <laughs> because I, oh, I fooled fell. you. I, I fell into that. <laughs> I was with you. I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, Keenan. You're right. And then you turned it into. And made you do a jump scare. Oh God! But yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, that's. Right. And then, and then, what's gonna happen? Like next morning, Chris wakes up. It's like, oh, good morning, madam. I made you bacon and eggs, <laughs> and uh, and oh, Sharon uh, has something to tell you. Oh yeah, you know, I convinced the priest to do the exorcism. It's like what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've been trying to do that this whole time. Right, right. Like, the whole time. The whole time, right? right? Oh yeah, well, you know, it was really easy. Just show her the, um, you know, just show him the uh, the writing on 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 your <laughs> on daughter. The inside like, of your daughter. <laughs> I, I, w- <laughs> Which okay, to be fair, folks. Uh, she does tell him about that in the book uh-huh. and he discounts it. He's like, oh, dermatographia. He's like, oh yeah, you know, she probably did that with her fingernails, oh. right? Yeah. So so she she has explained that, mm-hmm. right? So she has seen this. So actually, yeah. So in the book, this has happened before and she has told him about it and he's been like, meh. <laughs> okay. All right. Because that's, that's Karis is meh, mm, right? Right. Psychokinesis, dermatographia. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everything else except devils, right? <laughs> except except speaking French. Except speaking French. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, yeah. But yeah, but yeah. So yeah, in in any case, they pass Chris's room and they start up the the second little set of stairs, right? And Karis says, "Well, what's wrong? What is it?" A little loudly, <laughs> right after Sarah, Sharon says, "I don't want Chris to see this," right? Like this is the hallway where sound doesn't travel down to these other rooms. Oh, right? that's right. I forgot. Right. <laughs> Don't tell me to be calm. <laughs> Daughter won't, or father won't uh, call her on his on her birthday. birthday. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, sound doesn't uh, doesn't play by the rules here. Yeah, <laughs> but no, like it just it just seemed really really funny. Like like go back and, and watch it, folks. It's like I don't want Chris to see this. Well, what? What's wrong? <laughs> Shut up. Right. And also, okay, like you, you already mentioned it, Keenan, Sharon. I love you, but we see now that you know, as they both reach the top of the steps mm-hmm. that she has been holding a flashlight, mm-hmm. which she had the entire time as they are running up these two st- sets of stairs mm-hmm. in total darkness. Right. We know why she has it. It's for the next scene. But it just struck me as I was like, you can still use that now. <laughs> no, it's for later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> No, it's for emphasis for later. <laughs> Chris is just she she hears everything right. right the walls are just very thin I don't want bang bang I, I, I always thought there's that last step I just you know. are you okay here let me help you out he's like no 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 it's fine it's fine oh god damn it that armoire is still out here oh I'm Carl 
I'm sorry. Did we wake you up? <laughs> Carl, you're mumbling in your sleep again. That's right. Okay, so so they reach the camera as it turns, giving us this great shot of Sharon in silhouette against the window as she puts on her coat. I really like that. Like, like this is an excellent reminder of where they are about to go and how cold it is right. in that room, right? But sadly, that is the end of this minute and all I have in my notes for this episode. Keenan, is there anything else we missed? No, I think we got it. All right, folks. This has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz. And you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. Yes. We've got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join and we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everyone who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star ratings on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate it. It's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. All right. Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the the power power of Mr. Mr. Wednesday Wednesday compels you. Freaking. And this thing about Sharon, leave Sharon out of this. She's just doing her job. Watch out for Sharon. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why, Father Lucas? Why? (laughs) So then he doesn't go in and do anything where Karis is scared of Sharon later. No, no, (laughs) no. There's never a moment of like, like, like after the, you know, after the next scene, it's like, will you help us now, Father? You trust us now, Father, right? And then she's, he's, he's looking at her, and in the, in, in his head, he hears, "Watch out for Sharon." Right? No, no, that never no, happens. No, no. Sharon's gonna laugh at you. Watch out for Sharon. Sharon's gonna laugh at you. Watch out for Sharon. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? He has dandruff, Keenan. It was me, father, the whole time. The whole Sharon. time, Sharon. <laughs> Is he That's the horse my man? Earth name. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you thought I was dating a horseman, but I was dating four horsemen. Whoa! Oh, oh, that's actually God. very funny. I like that. <laughs> <laughs>